This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really. And the best part is anyone can take advantage of GMC's platform by signing up for consignment services. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com consignment and start moving your cards with Greg Morris today. What's up, everyone? This is episode 240 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my ex account is at Wax Museum PC. So, Mrs. Wax Museum has found something she wants to collect. And so far, they've been kind of hard to track down. They're called Disney Cutie Cuffs. It's a bunch of different little plush Disney characters that clip onto stuff. I don't know exactly what they're supposed to go on. She says she's going to put them on a backpack when she goes to Disney. Okay, fine. But each character comes in this little plastic blue container. And you don't know who or what you're going to get until you buy them and open them. Sometimes they're up by the registers. A lot of stores have moved them into the toy section. Okay, that should all sound very familiar, right? If, if you haven't figured it out yet, there are a lot of parallels here to trading cards. So it's been interesting watching her embark on this mission because now I'm the one asking the questions. Well, 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 how the turntables. What are you going to do with all those? Why don't you just buy the ones you like? Are there chase variants? Are there extremely rare versions of these? Did that come out of your hobby funds? I haven't actually asked that last question. I'd like to think I'm a smarter man than that. And while Mrs. Wax Museum doesn't collect cards, she's familiar with the landscape. She's hunted for status and prism with me. And truth be told, she kind of enjoys the chase. And when it comes to these Disney things, I don't know if she realizes it yet, but I think she likes the chase more than the product itself. Now, of course, the only reason I recognize that is because I'm a bit of a hunter myself, I love getting cards in the mail. You know, I do like the cards themselves, but, you know, it never stops. Once I get one, it seems like it's on to the next chase. That's a large part of the element for me. So anyway, she's got her mom and her sister hunting for these things. It's kind of become a a family activity for them. And her sister found a bunch the other day and brought them over. And Mrs. Wax Museum later told me that, you know, she she said, I kind of wanted to find them on my own. And that all but confirmed what I was already thinking So I'm interested to see where this thing goes. I'm not sure if there's an end goal in mind, but there's a lot of parallels to collecting cards. She's had to deal with duplicates and retail flippers and all that fun stuff already. And I thought you guys might get a kick out of that. As it turns out, we're not alone in this whole collecting thing or this whole struggle, as some people might even say. All right, speaking of collecting, I want to preview today's main segment real quick. As you guys might have noticed, I've had a lot of fun ranking my cards as of late. You might remember me talking about my 50 favorite cards countdown. Well, I also made a list of my 10 favorite Paul George cards. Yes, that's right. 
I actually did this. I've been teasing this segment for a while now. I used to have a lot of negative feelings towards Paul George. The tide's kind of changing now. So this list is actually happening today. Uh, Some of these cards are just nice cards. A few of them have personal stories attached to them. One of them I even got signed myself in 2012. So I'll run you through all 10 of those for you a little bit later in today's main segment. You'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. But first, I want to talk about this week's mail. And coincidentally, the first card is a Paul George card. Um, It's not one that made my list here, but it's still one that I like quite a bit. It is a one-of-one number patch from a product called 2021 President's Choice Solitaire. I think I've talked about it on here before. It's an unlicensed product, uh, but it's still a great-looking patch, though. And sometimes that's what I go for. Even if I don't always like the card designs, what does the patch piece look like? So... I got an Instagram message, I think it was a couple weekends ago, from Josh, uh, who goes by Mitten State Collector. He's been on the show before. We made a big trade. And he was at a show, and he saw this card and sent a picture of it to me. And it didn't have a price tag on it, so I figured, you know, if it's anything like the President's Choice cards on eBay, the seller's going to have it priced um, irrationally high. And seeing as I've already added some real nice Paul George patches in the last year, some licensed versions... I didn't want to break the bank on this particular card. So, you know, I still wanted it. So I shot him a number. I said, hey, this is what I'm willing to pay. If that's close to their asking price or close to their range, we'll work something out. If not, we don't need to try and barter with them. I don't want you to have to go through all that. So he reported back that my number was the price they were asking. So uh, it ended up being all right. And he was kind enough to pick that up for me and send it my way. So thanks again, Josh. I'll make sure I need to get a picture of that up on my social media. Um, The second piece of mail is not a Paul George card, although it is another player who wore number 24. It's a 2000-2001 Topps Heritage Retrofractor of Kobe Bryant in a PSA 9 slab. And those of you that are regular listeners, you might remember a recent segment I did that talked about both 1971 Topps and 2000 Topps Heritage, which used that same 71 design. Well, after piecing that whole segment together, I decided to pursue both of those sets. And then shortly after that, that kind of evolved. And I decided to pursue the Retrofractor parallels as well. And thankfully, that Retrofractor set is considerably smaller than the base set it's linked to. There's only 60 cards total. The veterans are numbered to 272. The rookies are out of 72. And though 272 sounds like a lot of copies, here we are 23 years later or whatever, And they've proven to be relatively tough to track down. Now, luckily, I was able to find cheap copies for some of the bigger names like Shaq and Kevin Garnett. I knew Kobe was going to be one of the more difficult ones to track down, although there were definitely some out there. So I reached out to my friend Kirk, who is an avid Lakers collector, and you've heard him here on the show before, and and he owns one of these cards. So I just checked with him to see, hey, you know, what do you think a realistic price might be if I do find one of these? What could I be prepared to pay and he told me he was headed to do a big show soon and he would keep an eye out. Well, everything moved real quick from there. Kirk was able to track a copy down and he sent it my way. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. I would say it's definitely the biggest card on the checklist. So Kirk, thank you again with all of your help for that. Um, these last two cards, you can see, I definitely could not have, have landed them if it weren't for the help of friends. Now for this particular card, the second one here, this Kobe, there was some unintentional comedy along the way, and I asked for permission to, sh- to tell this story 
because I thought it might have some entertainment value. So this card was originally shipped to me uh, via FedEx with signature confirmation, and that's fine. Got no issues with that. So I'm at work one day, and I get a notification on my phone from my doorbell camera, and the FedEx lady was there. Well, you know, I don't normally talk to people through that app. I knew she wasn't going to stand there forever, so I had to figure out this thing real quick, or else this package was going to walk away right before my very eyes. Like, literally, I would have been just watching it on my phone go away. So there were like three buttons I could hit on the app, all with giant symbols on them. So I'm happy to say I I chose the right one. I think it was actually a sequence of two buttons. But anyway, I got it. You know, great job, Kyle. You're still not a full-blown boomer yet. And I proceeded to give the driver directions through my phone. Um, you know, hello, you can go ahead and, and just leave that at the door. It's okay. She said, no, I can't do that. It needs a signature. And I'm kind of thinking out loud, you know, you and I are having a conversation. I'm, I'm asking you to leave it. Can that count? You know, I wasn't rude about it, but can that count? Uh, as it turns out, uh, it could not count. So she said she'd try again the next day. The next day comes around. Around that same time, I missed the notification on my phone. No one was there to get it. Strike two. And for whatever reason, she wasn't leaving the missed delivery slip at the door. So I went online and I, you know, I'm searching all this up and I figured out that they would try three times before sending it back to the shipper. And so I I certainly didn't want it to go back. You know, Kirk went through all that trouble to get it to me. I didn't want to inconvenience him by having him have to ship it again. Uh, So that meant I had one more day and one more try at this thing. So, you know, I had worked some extra hours earlier in the week, so it seemed like it was working out perfect for me. I could leave early on a Friday. I had the hours banked. I should be able to catch her at the door and retrieve this thing in the process. Well, she never showed up and it got sent back. So um, Kirk shipped it again. Eventually I got it. So I, I know some of you have been in similar situations with deliveries before, so hopefully you got some enjoyment out of the visual of me begging the FedEx lady through the doorbell cam, uh, like a little peasant groveling before the king. You know, please, please leave this package. I'm talking to you. Couldn't happen. But as I mentioned in the intro, there's a part of me that really enjoys the hunt, and I consider stuff like this to be part of the process. Uh, I guess it makes it a lot more rewarding when that card is finally in hand. All right, before I move into today's Paul George list, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com. And right now they're hosting an NBA tip-off event. So if you've got basketball cards, send them in and you can get 30% off both elite and select submissions. Additionally, if your new elite submissions sell for over $100, you can earn a full rebate on processing fees. There's a lot of good stuff going on there right now. Head on over to the ComC blog and check it out for yourself. Okay, and then real quick, some of you have also asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link, and using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so as you guys know, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Paul George and his cards. His years in Indy were some of the best times of the franchise, 
but I also don't like the way he left the team. Anyway, it just so happens that his years in Indy correspond with some of Panini's greatest years and some of their greatest sets, so I've softened up a little and found myself looking at a lot of Paul George stuff over the last year and wanting to pick up more. I've teased this for a while now, but I finally went through my collection and made a list of my top 10 Paul George cards. This is not necessarily about value, although that may factor in for some, but it's more or less just the 10 cards I like the most. So here goes. Number 10, I'm going to start off with the 2012 Panini Father's Day Draft Day Materials Basketball Signatures. And while this card is from 2012, I didn't get it until probably around 2018 or 2019. And when I first got it, I just assumed it was from 2010 because this is a draft relic and Paul George was part of the 2010 draft. I did a little more research though, and to the best of my knowledge, Panini never had any 2010 draft relics that actually came out that year, so it's kind of cool that we at least got some after the fact. And the back of the card specifies that it's draft-worn material, and of all the stuff that it could be, it appears to be a piece of his draft hat, or one of his draft hats. I I imagine he wore several. I don't love the fact that there's a sticker auto on the front, but I don't think it takes anything away from this card either. Now, as far as the acquisition, I originally bought two of these together, I think off of Facebook for like $30 total. I moved one, uh, the other one for that amount shortly after. So it cost me practically nothing. And it's a nice piece to commemorate Paul George's draft night. It just didn't come out until 2012 Father's Day. Okay, number nine is a 2010-2011 Panini Donruss Rookie with an in-person autograph on it that was signed in Charlotte in the arena um, on February 22nd, 2012. And I will say, this is probably the least visually appealing card on this entire list, but it marks the only time I ever got Paul's autograph in person. And I tried several times in the three years I lived in Charlotte. Some guys were easier than others. I feel like Paul rarely ever signed when I saw them. Um, I did, however, get him on this night in February of 2012. Now, at the time, I was kind of working on the 2010 Donruss set, and I knew I'd never finish it, but it was just a goal that I had set for myself. And I've talked about these cards before. They had a nice premium feel to them, and I really liked the in-game photography of the base set. The rookies, on the other hand, though, all had these dark photo shoot pictures, which made um, getting them signed pretty tough. Or, or, Well, it didn't really affect getting them signed, but it made the autograph showing up on them pretty tough because ideally you would use a silver paint pen or a silver marker to get a signature that would really pop. But I hated switching out pens and dealing with silver pens. And at the time, all the silver pens I tried smeared like crazy. Um, Keep in mind, most of these in-arena autograph situations are kind of chaotic. It's not like the athlete's sitting at a table and the card gets handled carefully or has time to dry. So long story short, I went with the blue Sharpie. I went for continuity and it's super hard to see. But like I said, it's the only time I got his autograph in person. It's my own little connection to Paul George. And for that reason alone, this is one of my most important PG cards in my collection. Okay, number eight is a 2016-2017 Panini Court Kings box topper 5x7 panoramic. And normally I am not a fan of oversized cards, but this one has a lot going for it, for me at least. Number one is from a product that I used to really like. Court Kings used to feel a lot different from the other stuff Panini put out, and for it being such a low-end product, I felt like it had a lot of quality cards in it too, from the canvas-like base cards, to the case hits, 
cards, the game-dated memorabilia cards. There was a lot to like, and then you could throw box toppers in on top of that too. The main reason I like this box topper of Paul George so much is that it pictures a Pacers Magic game I went to in Orlando on January 6, 2016. Now, admittedly, I don't remember much about the game, but this has kind of become my souvenir from that game after the fact. It's got a great picture of Paul driving in for a layup, and it looks like it was photographed from the top of the backboard. It's very similar to a picture from the same game they used for his 2016 Hoops base card, but it's not the exact same one. Now, for whatever reason, the back of the card talks about the previous game against the Heat. Maybe they intended to use a picture from that one instead, but I'm just happy they used the Orlando picture either way. Okay, number seven is a 2013-2014 Panini Flawless Jumbo Patch numbered to 25, and this is actually a card that I have two copies of. Just as I did with my Rick Smith's Flawless Patches on my Top 50 Countdown, I'm going to lump these two copies into one here. There's not a lot to say about this one, even though it does you know, rank 7th on the list. I just really like large patch windows, and when it comes to Flawless Patches, the 2013 windows were about as big as it gets. I wish I had picked up some of these when they are a lot more affordable, but it is what it is. I'm fortunate to have two of them nonetheless. All right, number six is a 2016-2017 Panini Spectra Spectacular Swatches Gold Card, numbered to 10. And normally you hear a patch window shrinking over the years, and I kind of alluded to it there when I was talking about flawless patches, but the gold Spectra swatches were all pretty small from the time they debuted in 2013 all the way up until 2015. Well, come 2016, they got a lot bigger, and the set was either replaced by or renamed or upgraded to a memorabilia set called Spectacular Swatches. So this is another card on the list with a large patch window and large patch portions from two different letters in the George nameplate. On top of all that, it's the gold version of this card, and that color scheme works really well with Pacers players. Number five is a 2013-2014 Panini Court Kings 2-on-2 Quad Memorabilia Prime numbered to 25 that features Paul George, Roy Hibbert, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade. Now, I've talked about Court Kings a little already with the Panoramics box topper. This card has a similar canvas-like surface, and it's representative of something I thought Panini did really well with in the 2012-2015 range specifically. And that's memorabilia cards. To me, this card is representative of the playoff battles between those Pacers and Heat teams in the early 2010s. Unfortunately, the Pacers were never able to get the better of the Heat, despite jumping out to an early lead one series. But I have a lot of good memories from those times nonetheless, and I figure if I'm going to pay for a prime LeBron Heat relic, I might as well grab one that features some of my players too, because they made several iterations of these, including one in 2012 Immaculate, that had pretty small patch windows, and then I think they replaced Roy Hibbert with George Hill. I've got the jersey version of that one, but I like this Court Kings version a lot better. So much so I ended up with two copies, because after I bought the first, another showed up and I felt like the price was right. As you guys know, when it comes to patch cards, I don't mind duplicates, because the patch pieces are almost always never the same. Okay, number four is a 2013-2014 Panini Prism blue prism parallel and from what i remember the 2013 prism unnumbered parallels have always been a bit of an enigma to collectors at least they have to me because you have the greens 
which were across all retail. Reds were Target exclusives, and then the blues uh, were at Walmart only. And I feel like in general, you know, there are a lot more Walmarts than there are Targets. If that's the case, you'd think there'd be more blue Walmart exclusives out there, or at least they'd be easier to find, but that doesn't seem to be the case at all. For whatever reason, they're pretty hard to find, especially for the inserts. Now, I don't generally buy cards just because they're scarce. There has to be something I like about the card itself as well. In this case, I think the blue pops as about as well as any year of blue prisms. There's a couple other good years as well, maybe 2018, 2020 were both really nice. Some years have looked more dull, like 2017 by far is the worst, but 2013 looks great. So visually, I really like this card, and I chase the whole Pacers set. Add in the fact that it's scarce, that's a nice bonus, I'll take it, but overall it's just a really nice card. Okay, we made it to the top three. Number three is a 2013-2014 Panini Immaculate Collection Team Logos Jumbo Patch numbered to 12. And this is a card I had at number two, then I moved it back to three. I think I've moved it back and forth a couple times. But no matter where it's at, I think 2012 and 2013 Immaculate are two of the best jumbo patch products in Panini's entire basketball run. Unfortunately for me, the 2013 version only had two Pacers players in it. Now, Danny Granger's cards all had Pacers patches in them, but he was pictured as a clipper. So the two Pacers in the set were Louis Scola and Paul George. And I've had a Scola patch for a while now, but for the longest time I needed a PG. And one of my goals for my Pacers collection is to get the biggest, nicest patch piece I can find for every player that has Pacers patches. As you can see from this list, I've had some nice Paul George patches over the years, but nothing that's this size. Not even the 2013 Flawless Jumbos I talked about earlier. So I definitely paid a premium for this one, but there's only 12 copies and you just don't see a lot of this kind of stuff show up anymore. Combine that with the size of the patch, and that's why this one is part of my top three. Okay, number two is a 2015-2016 Panini Preferred Statline Memorabilia Booklet Prime, numbered to 25. And I said earlier that I wasn't too big on oversized stuff. Well, that includes booklets, but this card has so many qualities about it that I like. I have no problem overlooking the fact that it's a booklet. In fact, I don't think all the stuff I like would have fit on the card otherwise. This is from the Preferred Statline series, and if you're not familiar with those, they made them for three seasons, 2014, 2015, and 2016. The first year was more upright, and then the final two years they used more of a vertical format, which is what this card is. And for these cards, Panini would take a piece of a jersey from a specific game, and on one side of the booklet... They featured the player in that specific game, right? They pictured them. And then on the right side, they gave the final score and some of that player's personal accolades from that game, hence the name Statline. Then, to top it off, the front of the cards have an acetate surface and the back of the cards have a write-up that explicitly mentions that the jersey piece was from the player and date described on the front. Now, this Paul George card specifically features a shot of him from the backboard, driving in for a layup against Derek Favors, and then the patch opposite that is the entire middle section of one of the ends in Indiana. And I can't say this for every card I own, but this particular copy is the best Paul George patch I've seen in this print run so far, and I've seen probably half of them. But wait, there's more. Some of the stat lines for players in this set, 
um, are not all that great. It just depends on what jersey Panini was able to get their hands on for that player. But check out this Paul George stat line from December 5th, 2015. 48 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 three-pointers. Now, we're going to look past the fact that the Pacers still somehow lost that game. Because to this day, those 48 points are still a career high for Paul George. Which is kind of crazy when you think about the boom in scoring we've had these last couple seasons. But he hasn't topped the 50-point mark yet. And who knows if he ever will. If not, I'll always have a piece of that career-high game. Alright, well, it's going to be hard to top that one. But those of you that have followed my collection for a while now might have an idea which card I'm going to name off as number one, because yes, there is still one card I like more. Number one is a 2016-2017 Panini Grand Reserve Hickory Jumbo Laundry Tag 1 of 1. And there are very few team-specific insert sets out there. Most of them revolve around teams like the Lakers or the Celtics. So to get a Pacers-centric set was a dream come true for me. I'm still kind of surprised this set was even made. But back in 2015, the Pacers signed a contract with MGM to wear these Hickory-themed uniforms from the movie Hoosiers. And for those of you that haven't seen the movie, it's about this small town whose high school team goes all the way to the Indiana State Championship. Uh, obviously, there's you know their struggle along the way. It's got Gene Hackman in it. Great movie if you haven't seen it. Anyway, the Pacers ended up wearing some iteration of these Hickory jerseys for a handful of years. And pretty early on in that time frame, Panini got a hold of at least five different pairs of shorts that they ended up using in memorabilia cards, primarily this Hickory-themed set from Grand Reserve, which had a canvas-like material on the front, uh, and the relic as well on the front, and then a picture of the source material on the back, which was not all that common with Panini. I've only seen them do that for a handful of sets over the years. Usually it is short stuff, uh, coincidentally. So once again, to do it for a Pacers set, I was really impressed. Now, the standard version of this card features a plain swatch and was numbered to 39. Those are relatively hard to track down to this day. I'm not saying they're necessarily sought after. They're just not easy to find. And actually, I still need one of them. I think it's Miles Turner. I don't remember right off the top of my head. The Prime version, though, is even harder to find because they were all serial numbered 101 and featured a big piece of the Adidas shorts tag. So it's not like there was a version to 5 or a version to 10. It was this base relic number to 39 and then the Prime 101. That's it. Five or six years ago, I was able to land the Glenn Robinson the third 101 from the set. He was probably the worst player of the five. No disrespect to Glenn, but it was his only Pacers Prime relic. So I really wanted that one and I was going to pay up for it. And I finally did. I, I tracked it down for my team collection. I kind of figured that would be the only one I would ever get. Well... 2023 rolls around and a bunch of Paul George stuff shows up on eBay. This card was one of them. It was around the same time I got a little bonus at work and the rest is history. I can now definitively say I have the 101 card for the best pacer in the set and I'm really happy about that. I'm very fortunate about the timing and when you combine all of those factors together, that makes this my number one Paul George card in my collection. All right, well, there you have it. Maybe you collect a particular team or player. Maybe you've shown some of those cards off before. You might consider making a list of your favorites because in a way, it kind of gives those cards new life, gives you a chance to look at them and think about them, 
and just enjoy them again. So if you want to see visuals of the cards I talked about today, you can find them on my YouTube channel. I'll also try to get some up on my social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.